series. How many are excited that we're done with Mark? Good. You don't know how to answer that question because we're not, we're not really done. We're only through the chapter 7, but we are going to be finishing up our Jesus Way series today. We are uh, through the end of chapter 7. We've been talking through the Jesus Way, and the big so what for the whole series has been this what? Spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. If we want to be mature in our faith, the goal isn't, we shouldn't be looking at other, we should be looking, what did Jesus look like? That's what I want my life to look like. And we're going to wrap it up with a, a challenging text here this morning. Um, we live in a country that celebrates Independence Day, right? We love our independence. We love to kind of, mm, I just, when we pull up our bat, bootstraps, we kind of celebrate people who can just kind of make their way, you know, they pave their own path, kind of do this thing. I got three kids, I've talked to you about them, I've got one kid that is a little bit more independent, he's the assertive one, right? This is Asher, my middle child, you know, everybody else, you know, even my nine-year-old, it feels like they're incapable, I have to do things for them, because they're like, I don't know how to make a sandwich. Asher, I'll walk downstairs, and he's made an entire meal for himself, you know, he's, he's, he's like, I was hungry, I'm like, cool, man, great, <laughs> take care of it, like, uh, just how he is, he just takes control, right? But some of us, we, we live our lives that way. We just, we like to take it, we like to be independent. Like, I don't need anybody, you know? And that's fine. There's some good place for that. But the reality is, if that mindset or that attitude creeps into our faith, it can self-destruct the faith that we say is important. So this morning, we're going to dig into a passage and a story. And, and I think we're going to see something in this story. It's going gonna, it's gonna to teach us a little bit about what kind of attitude do we need to have in our faith. How do we need to think? And I think it will challenge right where we're at, all right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Uh, like I said, we're going to be wrapping up this uh, chapter 7 here, beginning in verse number 24. As always, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you, bring them with you every week. I want you to look at the text. If you forgot one, you can borrow one from the table at the back. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift for you. Pick it up, put your name in it, take it with you, okay? We want you to have a Bible. Would you stand with me as we're going to read our text here this morning? Again, nothing sacred about Stan. It's just our tradition around here. All right? Verse number 24 of Mark 7 says this. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him... A woman whose, whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right for the, uh, to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We don't want to take this lightly or casually, Lord. We know that you desire to speak to us through your word. And so we stop the chaos of life and the busyness of our world and we say we want to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, take these words and make them clear to every single one of us. Father, may you reveal areas in our heart where we are off course so that we could step under your authority. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. All right. Well, uh, there are only two instances in all of Scripture where Jesus talks to somebody and refers to their great faith, okay? And the thing that I think is very interesting is in both cases, 
The person he's talking to is not a Jew. They're both Gentiles. They're both outsiders. They're the people that didn't quite fit in. Those are the ones Jesus calls and he tells them they have this great faith in. Uh, you might say, well, this doesn't talk about this great faith. Well, this story, there's a parallel account of this in Matthew. And in Matthew's account of this story, Jesus replies to this woman and says, woman, you've got this great faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story. And I think that we're going to see what faith looks like. We're going to get some attributes of what this great faith looks like. Because I think all of us come on a Sunday morning, we come hoping that we're going to grow in our faith. But if we don't have an accurate view of what great faith looks like, then we're not actually growing. We're not heading the direction we're supposed to be heading, all right? And so uh, go ahead, and if you got your notes, you got your bulletin, flip it over. It's on the back side of your bulletin. Uh, you can follow along with your notes here. we got three different attributes of faith that we see in this story. Point number one in your notes is this, that faith is a heart issue. Faith is a heart issue. If you weren't here last week, this was the essence of last week's message. I would encourage you to go back and listen to this. But the passage right before this passage, the one that we talked about last week, there's an interaction between the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and Jesus, right? And as they, uh, he's talking to these religious leaders, he's saying, listen, guys, on the outside, you've got all your stuff together. On the outside, you do all these right things, but your heart is far from me. You've totally missed what this whole faith thing is about. You're just, you're doing stuff and you've missed it. You remember last week I said the Pharisees were a lot uh, like the Walmart employees? Remember that? Remember, okay, if you weren't here, remember the picture? You got the picture of the, the smiley face? Some of you have been to Walmart before. You know what it looks like. They got these little badges that they put on, you know? And we talked about the Walmart employees. If you work at Walmart and you're the good employee, awesome. I'm really glad. But for the most part, they wear these badges and they say things like, I'm really glad you came today. Thanks for shopping at Walmart. Come back again. You know, you just sense there's not a lot going on in the heart. They're just doing the stuff. And this is the reality of what these Pharisees were like. They're doing the right stuff out here, but their hearts are far from God, right? And so this stands in stark contrast to the woman that we just read about. Why? Because these Pharisees, on the outside, they had it all together. On the outside, they looked good. On the outside, everybody would look at them and say, ooh, look, there's a Pharisee going by. Ooh, I want to be like them. I want to act like them because they had all the stuff. They were the insiders. This woman was the ultimate outsider. First off, it says she's a Greek. She's a Gentile. In their culture, outsider. Jesus shouldn't be talking to her just because she's a Gentile, okay? But then we get the second. She's not just any Gentile. She is a Canaanite. She is a idol-worshiping pagan, Okay? And so she's now, she's further. The Canaanites were a people that God said, no, don't associate with those people. That's what he spoke to his Israelites, okay? But then it goes beyond that. If that's not enough, she's a woman. And sorry, but at this time, in this culture, Jesus shouldn't be referring to her this way, especially in public like this, just talking to her. She was the ultimate outsider, okay? Based on the outside appearances, she was absolutely hopeless, all right? The good news of the gospel is that faith is a heart issue. There are no preconditions to faith in Christ. The essence of faith isn't transformed behavior. There is transformed behavior, but the essence of faith is a transformed heart. That's the beginning point of faith, all right? 
And here's the problem, that we can do non-believers and we can do new believers a disservice when we miss this one, when we begin to place barriers and expectations in the way that God hasn't demanded. Religion says this, I'm going to change you from the outside in, but if you were here last week, you know this, what? Faith in Christ says this, I will change you from the inside out. I will change your heart. And as your heart is transformed, your exterior will follow suit. Your actions will change. The way you treat other people will change. The way you treat your family, your spouse, the way you treat the outsider and the person who has nothing, that will change. But it starts in your heart, all right? Jesus reveals this truth as he responds to this woman and says, hey, you remember those Pharisees over here? Yeah, they had it wrong. Look at this girl. We get to point number two, though. Point number two, and this is critical for us, it's this, that faith understands its need. Faith understands its need. She's a part of a pagan, idol-worshiping culture. That means this woman, I guarantee you, here's what she did. She was going around sacrificing to anything and everything, right? She's going to every idol, finding every god. She's praying to the sun. She's praying to the moon. She's praying to Oprah. She'll pray to anyone that she can to see God move, all right? And she's at the end of her ropes. Nothing's working. Her daughter's still struggling, right? You've been there before. Some of you know what that's like. You've tried everything, right? She gets to the point, she hears about this Jesus, she hears about this Jesus, and she starts hearing stories about the fact that he is saving, that he is setting people free, that he is healing people, that he is uh, setting demons free, that he's raising the dead. She's hearing all these stories, and she comes after him. She's out of options. She realizes her needs, so she comes to Jesus. It reminds me of the DEA worker I heard about once. The DEA is the Drug Enforcement Agency. I don't know if you heard of that. And they got people that go around and they enforce the drug laws around. And so uh, one day there was a farmer. He gets a knock on his door. And he answers the door. And there's a guy standing there. Hi, I'm with the DEA. I'm here to search your property for illegal drugs being grown on the, pro- grown on the premises. And the guy's like, oh, uh, okay. Uh, sure, you can look, look around my property. Just don't go in that field over there. <laughs> and uh, the guy's like, uh, I don't think you understand. <laughs> you don't understand the story here. Like, I, I'm with the DEA, I can go anywhere I want to go. And the guy's like, oh, that's fine, that's fine, go anywhere. Just, just don't go in that field over there. And uh, the guy, you know, you know somebody's get a badge and they get a little too excited, so he pulls out his badge, he shoves it in his face. I don't think you understand. I have the authority of the federal government here. I'm going to go where I want, when I want. I'm going to go in that field. He's like, okay, fine, do whatever you want. So the guy goes and he starts searching the property. Farmer goes back to just kind of doing his thing and few minutes later he hears some screaming he goes over to the window and he sees the DEA worker running across the field with a bull chasing him (laughs) and the farmer gets a smirk in his eye and he says hey did you show him your badge (laughs) you know it doesn't matter how cocky we get like how confident we are in our lives right eventually we hit a circumstance where we realize, maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I am in need. Maybe I don't have it all together myself, right? And this is where this woman gets to. Faith understands 
its need. You see, in the Matthew account of this, it doesn't just say that she comes to Jesus. It says that she bows down. The word is proskuneia, to bow down before in reverence, recognizing someone who is greater than yourself. That, that's what she does. She, she comes to this point, and, and even when Jesus seems to ignore her, she humbly pleads based on her needs. And this is what is so different between her and all these Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they had forgot their need. They had forgot that they were in a position that required something beyond themselves. You see, they thought that their traditions, they thought that their actions were enough, that they were getting things together. They had forgotten that they had a need. And if we are not careful, you and I, if we're not careful, oh, we may not say that out loud, but we will begin to act as if our actions are enough. Our traditions are enough. What we do is enough completely forgetting our need. Faith understands its need. Faith assumes a humble position, okay? Matthew, uh, there's several chapters, uh, consider the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to his followers, and he describes what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God, to be a kingdom person. And he paints a picture that is vastly different than what our world talks about, right? If you've ever read the, the Sermon on the Mount, you understand this. But what I love about this is the first thing out of the gates. First thing he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, says this, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. What does that mean? Blessed are those who recognize their need. Blessed are those who understand that they are spiritually bankrupt apart from God. That they assume the humble position. But you need to hear this. Humility isn't grounded in an incident. Okay? It's not grounded in an incident. That's called humiliation. That's called being humbled. Okay? Humility isn't like way back once upon a time I knew I was in need but now I carry on. No, humility is an ongoing attitude based on a revelation of your need. To recognize, you know what, I don't get beyond this need of God, right? Because some of us, yeah, we had a humiliation moment in our life. Yeah, man, I need Jesus. And then we carry on as if we're good enough now. We do the religious stuff and we think, okay, we're good now. No, 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 no. Humility is ongoing. Recognizing, guess what? I'm your pastor. I need Jesus today. Like I desperately need him. Every week when I'm preparing sermons, guess what I'm doing all week? Oh, God, I need you. God, I need you. I'm not enough. I'm not, an, I'm not your source. Christ is your source. God, give me something. And I'm praying all morning. The, the, the prayer team knows I'm in there. What am I praying? God, take my words and you speak to people's hearts. Because my words are not enough. It's the word of God that makes a difference for you. Okay? And so this is, this is what the attitude that we have to have. No matter how long we've been serving Jesus, you don't outgrow. You don't mature beyond the point of needing him. And faith understands its need. It recognizes if it weren't for Christ, I'm done. I got nothing. I have nothing of value. Oh, I can do some stuff here temporarily. But in the grand scheme of eternity and in the kingdom of God, I bring nothing of value apart from Christ. Faith understands its need. Question, are you living like you need him? Do you live your life like you need him? If you were to look at your past week, is there anything about your week that would indicate that you sense your need of God. 
think that's a hard question to ask ourselves because if you're, if you're honest, I know if I'm honest, there's plenty of times when I don't really act like I need God. Point number three is this. Faith perseveres. Faith perseveres. In the face of adversity, faith perseveres. Now, when you look at this text, uh, I want to kind of break it down a little bit because I, I know it can be a little challenging because we, uh, there's this reference to Jesus calling, it feels like Jesus is calling this woman a dog, right? And if you're familiar with scripture, you know that the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dog, Gentile dogs, okay? So it's like, is he being racist here? Like, what's happening in the text here? Uh, first off, you need to understand that there are two different words for a dog. There's a straight street dog, stray dog, and then there's like your house pet, and he's referencing to this house pet word, okay? So it's a different word, number one. Uh, but even if you would say, okay, well, that's fine, but it also still feels as though he's ignoring uh, this woman. There's more going on here. You see, Jesus is in this metaphor talking about that, you know what, it would be inappropriate. Let's say you've got a dog in the house and you've got kids. You make a meal for your children. Would you serve that to your dog first? No, you bring that to your kids. I made it for my kids. I'm going to give my meal to my kids, Okay. And that's what Jesus starts with talking, but, he, but then he makes this reference that, okay, well, why is Jesus still ignoring this woman? Why does it feel like? Here's what I see happen consistently in Scripture. Jesus sets scenarios up that draw out a truth that he's trying to teach his disciples. And what we're going to see happen here in a moment is Jesus creates a scenario that allows the faith of this woman to rise up. And, and I love that Mark put it this way because Mark put this story right after the previous story. And see, Jesus is trying to say, listen, you want to compare faith? Here's the difference. These Pharisees, this woman, okay? So this woman, it says she comes to Jesus. But the tense of the word, you know, it says she begged Jesus to drive the demon out. This tense of begged, uh, the, our translation doesn't, doesn't do it justice because the tense is that she begged and continued to beg. She was continually begging, okay? So it wasn't this like, hey, Jesus, would you fix my, no, okay. Like, that's not what took place in the story. She said she came, and she continued to come. And Jesus, I need you. I need this. I need you. I need you. Can you do something? Do something on behalf of my daughter. And even when Jesus didn't respond initially the way she wanted, she kept coming. She kept begging. And that's what faith looks like. Faith perseveres. Because there are times in your life where you're coming to Jesus, and you don't feel like you're getting the answer that you want, or even any answer at all. But faith doesn't say, you know what, if I, if I don't hear what I want to hear, I don't hear anything, I'm going to give up. No, faith perseveres. Faith keeps coming. It keeps coming. You know the story of the, the persistent widow. Jesus tells the story of this widow who was in need, and she came to the judge, and she kept pleading, kept pleading, and kept pleading, and she didn't give up, and the judge finally relents just because he's tired of listening to this woman beg. That's what faith looks like. Faith doesn't give up because, God, I, I, I guess you don't care. No, faith says, God, I'm coming to you. You are my hope. You are my source. I got nowhere else to turn, just like the disciples said. Where else are we going to go? I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm coming to you. That's what faith looks like. It perseveres. It keeps coming. And some of you need to hear this because you've had an area of your life where you once upon a time, you were trusting and you were running toward Jesus, but you've given up. And you said, I don't, I don't think he cares anymore. And you've stopped persisting. Listen, faith perseveres. That's the type of faith that Jesus wants to see come out of us. Faith that says, God, you are it. I got nowhere else to turn. I'm coming to you. You're where my hope is. Faith perseveres. And what I love that this woman, remember, what was her resume? 
Nothing. <laughs> she had nothing on her resume worthy of Jesus. All she did was bring her need, and he didn't want to turn it away. And I think sometimes, like here on earth, like need does not inspire me. If somebody comes in with all their needs, it's like, oh, it feels overwhelming. Guess what? There's one God in heaven who would love for you to come with, his need, with your need on a regular basis. He's looking for you to come. Just come to me. Can I be your source? Because I want to be your source. I, I want to be there for you. I want, I want to be the first person you run to, right? We talked about this over and over. God's desire is this intimacy with us, not that he's some far-off God looking to whack us over the head. No, he wants to be that source who we stay connected to, right? So we get to our big so what here this morning. Big so what, simply this. Great faith demands great dependence. Great faith demands great dependence. We, we could say, I want to be a person of great faith. I want to be a person of great faith. Okay. A lot of times when we think about people of great faith, you know, we might think of some great speaker or some great Christian leader out there, somebody who's doing all this amazing stuff. You know what? Maybe they're people of great faith, but that isn't what our eyes need to be set on. It's not on, have I achieved a position? Do people recognize me? No, no, no. Great faith just simply says, I got a great dependence on God. I'm not functioning on my own. I'm not trying to do things on my own. I'm not saying, man, look how good I am. No, it is waking up every morning saying, my hope is not in myself. I am not my savior. Praise the Lord, okay? I'm not my savior. And guess what? You're not your savior. You want to be a person of great faith and you wake up every morning and say, God, you are my foundation. You are my hope. You are where my help comes from. It is not in me. It's not in my goodness. My goodness is as filthy rags. God, I turn to you because you are my righteousness. That's what it means to be a person of great faith. There's a story in 2 Chronicles about King Asa. And uh, it just shows this so well because Asa, he started off really good. It's really strong, okay? Because at the beginning of this story, he, he comes in and the, the people of Israel, the, they had started worshiping all these other pagan gods. And so they're doing all this stuff. They got poles. They're worshiping all this other stuff. Asa comes in. You know what he does? He just destroys it all. He says, no, no, no. We got to come back to purity. We got to worship God with purity, you know? And there's a story where where this enemy forces come up against the nation of Israel. And you know what his response is? Look what it says. It says this, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. What is he saying? We depend on you, God. few years later, same situation happens. I mean, next chapter, if you want to read it, chapter 8, 16. few years later happen, same situation. Army comes up again. What does he do? He goes into the storehouse of the temple, takes all the gold and the silver, and rather than going to his God and saying, God, I'm relying on you, what does he do? He takes the money and he pays somebody off to deal with it. And God sends a prophet to talk to him, and he says this, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You remember when I, do you remember how, how I was there for you before? 
This is what he says. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's saying, listen, depend on me. I'm here for you. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, the challenge is, will we live that same way? Will we live in a position of dependence on God? Or will we say, ah, I can do this on my own, right? Here's what I want to just challenge you with. Listen to me for a second. I don't think that this independence is always an issue of rebellion. I think sometimes it's just an issue of indifference. We just forget about it. We just start carrying on with life. And if we're not careful, the way we just kind of go through the motions, you know what life's like. I got to wake up. I got to do my thing. Got to go to work. Got to deal with the kids. Got to do this. Got to do this. In time, what can happen is we just build up this, just this attitude, just like, I just got to keep doing my stuff. And if we're not careful, we stop relying on God and we just start doing it out of our own strength. And so this morning, I'm not coming in a, as a voice of condemnation. I'm coming as one who needs the same word. That, that God, could we get back to that place with consistently relying on you? Not relying on myself to figure it out like Asa did. Just like, oh, I'll just figure this out. No, God, I trust you. My hope is in you. My salvation is in you. God, with my family, I need you. In my marriage, I need you. With my kids, I need you. On the job, I need you. With that neighbor who drives me crazy, I need you. Whatever the situation is, God, we need you. You are our source. You are our hope.